Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast. I'm Debbie Ronka, your host. You know, transitions, they come in all shapes and sizes, and there's such a great variety of them that we experience in life. But I believe one of the most difficult and the most painful transitions are when we experience the loss of someone that we love. You know, whether it's a sudden loss or we even have time to say goodbye to that person that we love, our life is really impacted. And there's so much unknown that begins to surround us. And walking through that process of grief can just be so overwhelming. So today, I know, as we listen, we're going to find hope and inspiration as we get to hear from my special guest, Tracy Davison, as she's coming on to share her personal story of the loss of her precious husband, Kenny. Tracy, I just want to thank you so much for your vulnerability to come on today to share this journey in your life and I just know we're probably going to shed a few tears. So anybody who's listening, like you can just cry with us because um, this is life. This is real life. And Tracy, I just thank you so much for coming on to allow us to come into this sacred space of your life. Thank you, Debbie. It's such an honor to be here with you. I feel the same way. So tell us about your husband. What was he like? Ken was a very happy, positive person with just a bright light around him. Uh, He left footprints on the hearts of anyone and everyone who met him. He was a former captain in the army and served in Desert Storm and Desert Shield. And uh, that, yeah. And uh, when I met him, I actually was applying for his job. (laughs) Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was a I was a high school Spanish teacher and had studied to become a, a, a school administrator and there was an opening in his district, school district, which was which was nearby. So I brought my application into the school. It was during the summer, no kids were in the building, just the staff. And I met Ken and I thought, mm, hubba hubba, he's a cutie. <laughs> I love it. (laughs) He was very handsome, uh, strawberry blonde with green eyes and a little bit of a stocky guy and just jolly. And when I, when I dropped my application off, he decided to give me a tour of the building and had lots of questions. He shook my hand eight times, which I thought was interesting. And I remember leaving there that day thinking two things. I don't stand a chance in hell of getting this job. Number one. And number two, um, I think a bird just landed in my apartment. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, I thought I saw something fly by distraction, but number one, I don't stand a chance in hell of getting this job. Number one. And number two, wow. I would love to be with somebody like him. He's professional. He's nice. He's kind. He's got it together. And uh, no one like him would ever want to be with somebody like me. Oh, Oh, yeah, crazy. And the reason I thought that is because I was 30, I was 30 
two years old and I had been divorced twice. And my, my first husband was very, um, unhappy with the fact that we were divorced and that resulted in a lot of court, um, proceedings. And so I just remember thinking Ken would never be interested in me. I think shaking your hand eight times, that guy had an agenda at that moment. He was like, I want to know this beautiful young lady. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, looking back, that was the case because about eight months later, he had moved on. So like I said, I was applying for his job as school principal. I didn't get the job. He moved on. I didn't even get an interview. In fact, I think he, I think he took my application and, and shredded it because he knew that that wouldn't have been a good move for me. (laughs) (laughs) He was looking out for me before we were even a a thing. Um, But about eight months later, I got an email. Uh, No, I sent him an email because his former position had come open again. So I said, Hey, not sure if you remember me, but just wanted to reach out and see if you'd be willing to have a conversation about what it's like to work in that district now that you've been gone for a while. And he immediately wrote back and and said, of course, I remember you, you made a, he meant to say a very good impression, but he said a very God impression. (laughs) And so, yeah, so that always was like a joke between us, but yeah, so we, um, we were email pen pals for several months. And then we decided to meet again uh, in person in March of 2003. And we were married a few months later in August. Oh, Tracy. Now that is true love. Mm. Absolutely. Um, That's definitely one of the things I learned from Ken is, you know, for the first time in my life, I got to experience what true unconditional love really was. So that just sounds so beautiful to experience unconditional love. Like you were sharing before that that's something you didn't have. And so, gosh, this really made Ken exceptional. Yes, absolutely. The third time was most definitely the charm for me. And and the best part was he was an amazing father figure to my daughter who was like, uh, I think she was nine years old at the time. And she needed that in her life. And he, she felt safe with him. And that was, it was great. Everything seemed to be perfect. Our kids were two years apart. My daughter was nine. His daughter was 11 and his son was 13 at the time. So you even had an instant family together. Yes. Yes. That says a lot about him that because children will either open the, the door of their heart or keep it shut. And it sounds like your daughter like you said, felt safe and loved. And that's really special, Tracy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So things, things were great. Life was wonderful. I was a high school Spanish teacher. He was a school administrator in a district an hour and a half away. Our kids instantly loved each other and got along per- just beautifully. Their life was fantastic until five months later. <laughs> and Go ahead. Only five months later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were married in August. September, November, December, January. Six months later. Sorry, six months later. um, He had not been feeling well. He had a lump in his neck. Uh, He had visited a doctor. Doctor told him it was a muscle. Well, he didn't have a corresponding muscle on the other side of his neck. And uh, come to find out, he had um, he had stage four nasopharyngeal cancer, which is in the sinus area, and it had 
stage four, of course, means that it had metastasized to um, several other places in his body, including the lungs. Oh my gosh, the shock of that. Yeah, oh. it was it was terrible. Um, when we brought him, when I brought him to the hospital for the removal of the lump in his neck, the doctor came, the surgeon came out and met with me in a little room. And he was a, he was a tall, older Canadian doctor. And because we lived on the Canadian border. So he had a lot of Canadian doctors that would work in, in that part of the state in New York. And he sat down with me and I just looked at him and I said, he's not going to make it, is he? And the doctor started crying. Oh my gosh. And said, I'm so sorry. He's not. Um, so. Oh, Tracy, I, I'm just trying to put myself in that room with you and just the, that devastating news. I mean, you even sensed it before the doctor said, and I mean, how, how do you process that? What do you do? Well, um, I did what he needed me to do. I, mm -hmm. I met him where he was at through, uh, the next, you know, two years and three months. And he, he had, you know, he was a fighter. He was going to beat the cancer. He was going to overcome it. Um, he had just had a reversal vas uh, of a vasectomy the month before we planned to have more, more kids together, you know, um, but, and he never gave up on, on his goal, but I just silently knew, you know, I knew what was coming. And over the next two years and three months, I, you know, learned a lot about the medical profession. I learned a lot about being an advocate for someone with, hospitals and doctors. And it was just, it was tough. We came home that night, our kids were with us and we made dinner and then we sat the kids down and told them what was happening. And, um, that was really tough. That was, that was a tough conversation. And so that's a hard thing for children to hear. I mean, I feel a little speechless here because it's just so tender. It's just so devastating. So once, once you told the children, I mean, what was, what did you do as a family? How did you keep the family and help everyone move forward now that everyone knew this diagnosis? Yeah. Well, we, we, you know, made a very conscious effort to, spend as much quality time with the kids as possible and keep things as normal as we possibly could for as long as we could. And, uh, you know, having meals together, playing board games, going fishing, having campfires, um, you know, going to the kids' sporting events and answering their questions as they came up the best that we could. I remember one time we were sitting on the bed and my daughter came, uh, crawled up there with us and it was during the day. And she said, Kenny, how, when you're not with us anymore, how am I going to talk to you? Oh, and he didn't miss a beat and he didn't cry. He, he never, I saw Ken cry one time and over it during that entire, those entire two years and three months. And his response to Morgan was, Morgan, do you know what, what the, the big or the little dipper is? And she said, yes. And he said, well, we, I want you to look at the tail of the little dipper and I'm going to be sitting on that, that last star. And that's how you'll know where I am. Oh, that is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that before. 
And what he gave her is a place to go, a place to look and a place to connect. Mm -hmm. How precious is that? Oh, Tracy. Yeah. And he, um, before he, he died, he, while he was still well enough, and this was just in the last few months that he was alive. He, while we were gone to school and work, he made videos for each one of us and gave us that gift of being able to see him and hear him. And he, you know, told us how much he loved us and, you know, things he hoped for, for us moving forward. And, and so that was, that was a beautiful, he was so selfless you know, and just a rare gift. That is such a gift because that is the one thing we really want after we lose someone, right? We want their words. We want to hear their thoughts and, and to actually have that on video. Um, I think, you know, I wrote a book called the family letter. Yes. And when my father was passing away, my children, all wanted to write their grandfather a letter. And we sat around his hospital bed and we read those letters out loud to my father. So their final words to him and what he was hearing is the kind of grandfather he was before he left this world. And it was such a healing time. So we decided as husband and wife, what Michael and I want to do is have letters with our will so that our children will have our last words, because we're such a family of letters. Um, but I love that video idea too. There's nothing more powerful than being able to see. And it's something that your children and yourself for years going forward will always go back to just, just gain the wisdom and what he saw for your children's future, what he saw for you. That is such a beautiful gift, Tracy. Yes, I agree. You know, this is like a huge turning point in your life and for your children. I mean, here you're going in one direction and then the sudden, sudden shift, the, the sudden change, the trauma, the shock, the fear, like everything hits you at once. I'm sure like a, just like a wave crashing upon you. So I think like when we have these kind of turning points, and now you're having to face a whole different way of looking at life than you were anticipating. How did you prepare yourself during those two years and three months? Because you didn't know quite how long it would be. So how did you prepare yourself? Uh, um, I kept busy. I focused on my job. I focused on the kids and what they needed. Um, I made, you know, made sure everything was taken care of at home and I stuffed my feelings. I stuffed them so that I didn't, wasn't crying in front of him because I knew that really bothered him. He was such a positive person and he needed, he needed me to be positive with him so he could stay focused on getting better. So but I, but there were times I just couldn't hold it together. And those times would be, uh, number one, when I was in the car alone, either bringing, bringing my stepdaughter to school for tutoring or, um, coming home from school. If I, if I was alone in the vehicle, the vehicle became my place, my crying spot. 
And I just, I ugly cried. I did it all in there. Yeah, whatever I needed to do. And, and then the other time that I just couldn't hold back the tears was um, at night when I would snuggle up behind him and put my arm around him. The tears just just <laughs> fell out of my head. And I couldn't stop. And he would pat my hand and say, don't cry, mama. It was, it was oh. just so sweet. Yeah. But I really, I really buried myself in work. Um, I, I could put things in a box mentally that way. He, he ended up staying home. Uh, you know, he had to leave his job. He was actually forced to leave his job, which was mm. illegal and unfortunate, but you know, so we had that battle. We had, we had several battles we had to overcome. His ex-wife was very, um, unwilling to let their child, their two children come and spend time with us. Um, oh. so we, we had to, we had to actually go to court several times to make that happen. And I felt so bad for him because he was so sick and his, he had had radiation in his throat. So he had lost all of his voice. So speaking was very difficult for him, especially in a courtroom and just the energy that that took. It was really hard on all of us. We had that battle to fight. Um, my, my ex-husband was, uh, not easy to deal with during that time, either constant court, um, you know, subpoenas to court, you know, questioning, you know, whether it was a good household for my daughter to be, to be in. I mean, this was life, you know, people, people get sick. It doesn't mean you're not a good parent. You're not able to parent your, your kids. So we had that battle, um, on a positive note, I, I was applying for a school administrator position and Ken was very much in favor of that because he didn't want me to move forward in life on a teacher's salary. He knew the expenses of the court battles I was, I couldn't get away from and he, he didn't want to see me strapped. So he encouraged me to pursue school administration. So two weeks before he died, I was actually hired as the high school principal in the district where I was a Spanish teacher. Oh, uh, you know, go ahead. And that, that, that made him feel, um, some relief, you know, knowing that I had that. So, you know, when you ask, how did I deal with stuff? I never stopped. I just kept moving forward, which is good and bad. It's good because, you know, I didn't get stuck in my grief, but it also the trauma from all of it and the, and, um, and the grief that I didn't deal with properly, came out in other ways in my life later on. I want to go back to just your <clears throat> getting that job. That was a gift for your husband because I can just sense that he, he felt he could rest knowing that moving forward, you, you would be able to take care of yourself and your daughter and his children and that there was a path for you to walk on. And I, but I, I want to touch on that grief because you're so right, Tracy. We all like suppress our emotions, but they will come out sideways because things just will happen in life. It's almost like this volcano inside of us. And I have this quote here from C.S. Lewis. It says, I thought I could, I, I thought I could describe a state, a map of sorrow. Sorrow, however, turns out to be not a state, but a process. And I, th I think that's all about grief. And what, what did you eventually do? Like, what would your advice be for people who are listening? Um, 
what not to do or what to do when you're in this traumatic situation and now you have the grief that you have to walk out and it's overwhelming. Yeah. Well, uh, the advice I would have is, is definitely keep moving. I mean, I think that that, I think that that is what helped me get through it. You know, you've got to stay focused on something, be careful that you don't slip into something like workaholism, which is definitely something I did. Um, I would work until I would fall into bed at night, especially when I didn't have my daughter with me. Uh, I would certainly say, you know, keep moving. I would, I would give people the advice to have a support system because especially after those first two weeks, when you lose somebody, you know, everyone else's life has, has moved on, even your family and people you think, you know, should understand that maybe you need some support and um, that you're still, you're still there. You're still hurting. You're still in extreme agony, but find, find someone who can relate to what you're going through. I had two really, two sets of friends that were just there for me, no matter what. And, and to this day, they're, they're still my best friends. And so find the support and limit your time with the people who are people and habits that are, you know, taking away from you that are depleting you. So, and, and to also look at the lessons, like I can look back now and look at the lessons learned, you know, from, from that experience with Ken, I learned a lot. I learned, I learned a lot about patience. I learned a lot about empathy. I learned a lot about um, <laughs> finances. Less uh, another huge piece of advice I would give is if there's money involved, um, to definitely reach out to someone who is a wealth management expert because I came into some money and I used that money to pay off a lot of debt where I really should have used that money to invest and set myself up for a more secure future. That's great wisdom because I know for me, the financial part would be overwhelming. I wouldn't know where to start and and so your advice would be, you know, find the people that are, can help you in those specific areas that it would be easier for them. And of course, find someone that you trust. Yes. And also to not be surprised when, when people come to you, knowing that you have this pile of money, you know, people are going to come to you and they're going to feed you sob stories. They're going to flat out ask you for money. Uh, they're going to tell you that they're entitled to the money. Uh, nothing should shock you kind of a thing. So be guarded guard, uh, on with that. That's good advice too. So I'm thinking about grief and some of the processes that we could go through. So isolation, um, like you were saying, it's important to keep moving. There's times to be quiet. There's times to let that healing take place. But it also can become dangerous if you're seeing yourself becoming isolated. And that to me is a, a great signal for anyone who's listening. If you're finding yourself that you're alone all of the time, that you don't want to go out to dinner anymore, that you don't want to step back into life, that, that that's a great signal to you that you need to find community. And it sounds to me like you had a community that helps you process and uh, you had someone to listen to. Do you feel like it's important to have someone that you could just pour your heart out to and not have to hold back? 
Yes, definitely. And, and to be very careful who you trust um, with that, because uh, it's just, um, it can go sideways. Um, but, and, and I think a good question to ask yourself and whether you've gone through grief or not, the, the question I like to ask myself now, and I heard this from Andy Stanley, he said to ask yourself, why am I doing this really? So for me, you know, working 10, 12, 15 hours a day, why was I doing that? Really? I was doing it to avoid facing the, the loan, the loneliness and the, you know, the processing of the grief, you know, why, why did I jump into a series of relationships one right after the other in the years that were to come after that? Why was I doing that really? And why were they all uh, people who I never should have gotten connected with? You know, I, I think there was a little voice in my head that said, I told you, Tracy, you, Ken wasn't good enough. You were not good enough for Ken. And so therefore I, I seriously lowered my standards for two reasons. I didn't feel worthy of having another wonderful man in my life. Number one. And number two, it was less painful to experience breakups with the wrong people than to take the chance and the risk of finding true love and loving again, that pain of putting that pain of Ken literally dying in my arms and loving him so deeply and having this, these huge hopes for, of a future for our, our family and to have it all, ta- you know, taken away so quickly. It was, it was so traumatic. And so just so devastating that I would rather punish myself being in these abusive relationships after that, that I just, I just didn't want to, you know, I can look back at that on that now and ask myself, why did I do that really? And, and, you know, what impact was that having, or did that have on, on my daughter? You know, I, I live with a tremendous amount of um, regret and concern for how everything that happened in her life. And, you know, I, I'm not, I mean, I, I don't, I don't sit here and beat myself up over it every day because I know that I did the best I could with what I had at the time and she's, she, you know, she's, she's doing well, but I know that, I know that the trauma of losing Ken and the, the way I handled my life after that negatively impacted her in some, in some ways that are lasting today. Mm. I'm sorry to hear that, but I, I'm thankful that you see, you see it and that you're creating a space for her to heal and even yourself. And isn't it, it is amazing. Like when we hurt the, our emotions, like, I don't, I, I think when we hurt, we don't even realize some of the things that we do. We don't even realize how we're living life. We don't realize our ripple effects. I mean, I've been there where I, I've been hurt so much that they don't even realize that I'm offending people or I don't even realize what I'm saying or doing, you know, cause we're in that moment of pain mm-hmm. and it, it does uh, distort things. Don't you feel? Oh yes, absolutely. You're, you're the decisions you make when you're dealing with grief and trauma are not even close to the decisions that you'll make when you are healed and whole. 
You know what? I love that. I love that saying. That is, that's like the decisions when you're emotionally in pain and the decisions when you're whole, they are completely different. And gosh, that's why I just want to encourage anyone who's listening today, how important it is for you to find community, to process your grief. You know, there's a, a dismantling of your life when you've been in relationship, in a marriage, um, and then suddenly that's gone. And, and it's, you, it's like a dismantling of everything that you've known and everything that you were familiar and comfortable with. And now you have to uh, even deal with your identity of who you were in that place. And so it's not easy. It's not easy. And as Tracy shared, finding that community that will listen to you, finding people that you can trust as you begin to create for yourself your new life, your new beginning, this new season or direction, and it's a painful process. But as Tracy shared how critical it is to keep moving because there is a life still here for you to live. And I believed our loved ones who have left us want us to continue, want us to fulfill who we are as, as uh, individuals and our purpose in life. So Tracy, share with us how you did dismantle. How did you find this new identity and purpose? How did you move forward? Yeah, sure. So as you can imagine, I, I was very angry with God when, you know, to learn that this amazing man in my life was going to be gone. So that started the the anger in me. And then when, when I did lose him, it just, I, I basically spent 10 years really, really mad at God. And, and God honestly was not a huge part of my life before, beforehand. I, I was raised Catholic, nothing against Catholics. Uh, just, it just, I, I didn't have a place. I didn't, I did, I wasn't going to God for, for anything. I had, it. I, I got this right. So what happened is I, like I said, poured myself into work. And then I took a position downstate. Um, I moved up the, up the food chain and became a school superintendent for a short time and then left that position, which is a whole other podcast, but we'll just say the words me too. Okay. But um, that's when I really felt like I was down on my knees and I, I had some very dark days and some thoughts I don't want to have again at that time in my life. And I just felt so alone and I missed him so much. And just, you know, it was just, it was tough, but that's also when the whispers started. It was, you know, nothing audible, just a tug in my heart. And I felt a pull to get reconnected with God. I felt a pull to leave New York state and go somewhere, do something. Um, it was like a, the message, the unspoken message was, so now what do you want to do? What do you really want to do? with your life. And so I took a year off to really, because I was able to, I took a year off to um, really reflect within. I drove from New York state down to Georgia without turning on the radio. Even once my daughter was living there and I had some good beach therapy and, and spent some time with my daughter and just really thought, just started thinking, you know, what did I learn through all of this? And what I learned is that, you know, how, how precious life really is. And am I doing what, 
what I should be doing? Am, am I fulfilling my calling anymore? Is education where I need to be? Is it where I want to be? It wasn't resonating with me anymore. I, I could not get on board with a lot of the things that were happening in public schools, with kids, with politics. And I was, I, I was done. I knew I, I knew I was not going to go back to public education. So I went to church for the first time in years in Georgia. And the tears just, I just, I was a puddle. I, I uncontrollable crying. Thank God no one knew me there. I was so embarrassed. But I knew I needed to, it was like God was saying, come back, come back to me. Aww. And, and yeah, so, so my daughter said that now that I live in Tennessee, I'm in the Bible belt and I, you know, I've been uh, converted, but it, it's not that way. Um, I, I have I've had a couple of personal experiences that tell me there that God is real. He is, he is here with me. He's where he, and he's, he speaks to me very, very rarely. One night I woke up in the middle of the night, it was 3am and I was looking outside, you know, how you wake up and you're like, oh, I wonder what time it is. I looked at the clock. It was 317 in the morning, which is a very important number. And I didn't hear a voice, but I felt a voice. And it said these words, just let me be your man. Oh, wow. It was the weirdest oh. thing, Debbie. Just let me be your man. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. How, yes. what did you, how did you feel when you heard that? I just knew, you know, I had heard people talk about hearing God speak to them and I'm like, whatever, that's a, that's not, that's a bunch of garbage. But I, I just knew. So when I felt those words, I said, okay, okay. And, um, what I learned is, you know, we have to put our faith in him and not our, put our faith in other people because we'll be disappointed every time. <laughs> and when we put it in, put our faith in other people, I'm not saying people aren't reliable, but he is, he is my source of support, encouragement, unconditional love. Um, you know what I, I'm just sitting here listening to the statement listening to what God shared with you. And I love how he is so specific. He knows the exact thing that will resonate with us. And the mm -hmm. fact that he said to you, let me be your man. After all that you just shared with us about all the wrong relationships after Ken passed, that you were trying to find something and God says, let me be your man. That I'm stunned by that in a beautiful way. His love for us is so specific and detailed that he knew that's what Tracy needed to hear. And I just want to put on top of that, that he sees that you are worthy because you are in him and that he crowns your life with compassion and goodness. And he satisfies your heart with good things. Um, I was just reading Psalms 103 before we came on, and that's like who he is, and that's what he was doing for you in that moment. Like, let me be your man. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And so once I, now granted, have I dated since then? Sure, I've dated since then. Um, but what I interpret that to mean is 
listen for my guidance. I will guide your steps. Right. Let me be the man that you listen to. Don't be, don't let yourself be pulled by what, you know, your family or, or uh, whoever's in your life or by others. Let me be your guide. Let me be your counselor. And, and, and so when I do that, and when I take steps that when I take what I believe to be the next right step, I swear every time that happens, I get confirmation that it's, I'm going the, in the right direction, if that makes sense. Oh, no, absolutely. And you want that confirmation, right? Because it just, it, it strengthens you to keep moving forward in confidence. So mm-hmm. what, what is it that you're doing now? What have you discovered uh, that your new passion in life is? Yeah. So when I was 44 years old, I left a lifetime career as a school teacher and school administrator. I had known from the time I was a little girl, I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, I left it all behind in 2006 and left New York state. I did what most people don't do. I left a very solid career. I left a six figure career, a great pension and retirement, uh, uh, a great pension. And, um, and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and I, I started a business consulting agency. And it's taken a lot of twists and turns a lot over the past six years. And currently, I own a business networking franchise with three groups in the Nashville area. It's a business mastermind for, for business owners and decision makers who want to grow their business. It's called Network in Action. Okay. And, and it is, it's great. We meet once a month. We, um, we're, it just launched. It, it just launched my three groups. I'm actually going to be buying a second somewhat related franchise called a collaborative business Alliance, which is for larger groups of business owners to come together, hear a great speaker, have structured networking and learn about a bigger initiative that we've, that we're working on. And I help people, with LinkedIn, I don't build profiles. I don't go in and change people's profiles, but I help them increase the number of connections that they have drastically. And I help them uh, do LinkedIn virtual events. So those are my three buckets. They're pretty big buckets. Did you ever see yourself do? I mean, this is so different from being in administration and the education market. This is so different. Did you ever see that transition coming? No, it's so weird how you, how I didn't see it looking forward, but when I look backwards, I can see how everything, every circumstance, every event, every experience in my life supported or taught, taught me something that's going to, that helps me now. Like I can look back and see that I was an entrepreneur from the time I was a little girl. Mm. I I can look back and and see that I was always a champion for the underdog and a and a ferocious pre- uh, protector of those I love. Um I am a I am a an S on the disc chart which means I like to go along and and be supportive and be a team player, but when I when I see people I love or am responsible for in harm's way, all bets are off. <laughs> And, and so one of the things I'm very passionate about with my, with my two franchises is, is uh, doing more to support children, to help them uh, be safe and provide a, a high quality education for them. So um, 
our group will focus on combating human trafficking of children because I believe it's a topic that is ignored and needs to be brought to light and eradicated. Um, I believe that in education, we can be doing more to teach kids about, you know, entrepreneurship, uh, about money, life, and being creative. So those are, those are some things we're working on. I have a quote here. It says, transition is a radical act of self-love. And so when I'm hearing everything that you're doing now, you, it seems to me like you found this place where you be- believed in yourself, you stretched yourself, you moved forward, and that, that self-love of who you are um, allowed you to create this new space, this big space where you're helping multiple, multiple people. Uh, I, I love it. Like, I just love all those different spaces that you're in. And then you're creating all these masterminds. And I think there's a strength when we be, start believing in ourselves, when we start loving ourselves, that we see the value in what it is that we could give to others. And I love that you looked back because I think sometimes we forget how far we've come or we, we don't even realize our own personal DNA of who we are until we look back. And like you said, you realize, gosh, I'm a fierce protector. I've kind of always been an entrepreneur. And then when we become aware of that, it's, it don't, it's almost like it gives you that empowerment to say, yeah, this is kind of who I am and I can move forward in this new and different thing. Tracy, how do people get in touch with you if they'd love to come be a part of um, any of your uh, masterminds and especially with LinkedIn? Yeah, um, you hit it on the head, Debbie. Um, find me on LinkedIn. That's the best way uh, okay. for people to connect with me. And some people want to put a D in the middle of my last name, like Davidson. So <laughs> I'm not that cool by any means. But uh, yeah, certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the that's the best way to to. Um, and I and I love meeting new people and having conversations, learning about their life and their goals. And uh, yeah. Well, I can personally attest for Tracy. She is phenomenal at what she does. She's an amazing creator. Uh, She's very detailed in what she knows, understands, and how she can equip you to expand what it is that you are doing. So I highly recommend that anyone who's listening reach out to Tracy and to share this podcast as well so that it can inspire and bring hope to others. So as we come to a close, Tracy, do you have any final thoughts that you would just love to share with anyone who's listening, who maybe is in that place where you were, where they know maybe eventually they will be saying goodbye to a loved one or to someone who has already lost their loved one? Um, Just give them some hope, some steps, some encouragement. Well, I would say, um, I didn't share this with you, but I'll share this little story. So when I was 14 years old, I, I was very, very sick and I was my, I was hemorrhaging inside. My stomach was was hemorrhaging. I was in the hospital, um, at that for my size and my age, my body had five pints of blood in it, five units of blood, five or six. I had lost four and I was on the, yes, I was on the, the, gurney in the emergency room in this little tiny hospital. And I was given a choice to stay or to go. 
And I remember the worst part of it was how cold I was. The, the, the cold, uh, I couldn't, I mean, obviously it's cold, I was bleeding out. Um, but I remember seeing three lights. There were three spears that were coming toward me. Everything else was black. Three spears were coming toward me. They didn't, I don't know if they were people or, and I don't know what they were, but there was a, an impression and the words were, would you want, would you like to stay or come with us? And, and I just, I felt so sick, you know, that I remember responding and saying, I don't care. You decide I'm good either way, because I knew that if I went, that if I died, it was going to be okay. Like, I know, I know it's going to be okay. And that helped me. And so I ended up obviously living because I'm here, but, um, when, when Ken was in his final days, he got very scared and he said, um, you know, come here, come here. And he could hardly talk because he he didn't have any oxygen in his body. And he said, um, how do we get the kids from the kids and the animals from where we are right now to where we're going? Like he knew he was going to be making that transition. And so I said, honey, and I put my hand on his chest. You're going to be you're going to go to heaven. You're going to be with God and with your family and the kids and I and the cats and stuff. We're going to stay here and we will see you again. We'll all be together again soon. Very tough conversation. And then the day he died, he called me in again and wanted, wanted to reverse the DNR decision. He now wanted to be resuscitated Oh, and he wanted to know what I thought. And that was a really tough comment. That one was the hardest. Mm. And I said, and I had to, I had to sit, give him what I thought was the right answer. And I said, honey, I think you've made the right choice. I think you need to stick with the decision that the chances of you being resuscitated and living and getting through this are just, they're just not there. You've made the right choice. And he put his head down and he shook his head. Yes. And he said, okay, I, okay. And so the advice I would have is find those, find that person or find those people in your life who are going to be there for you no matter what. And, and know that they may be there just for a season and be open to someone else coming in for the next reason, you know, in your life. That's good advice. That's beautiful advice because you still have such a, a divine purpose and a calling on your life, Tracy. And I could see it unfolding as I'm getting to know you. And I see the beauty of your soul. And I see your passion for wanting to help others to be a shaker and a mover in the marketplace. And you do it with such uh, compassion. And you do it with... Um, there's a softness about you, but there's a strength as well. And I love those combinations because people are drawn to you because of just who you are and you give so much life back. So I just want to celebrate who you are, all that you've discovered, all that you have shared. And I know the journey has not been easy, but I know I can see how God has been with you and continues to guide you. And I just am honored to be connected with you and to call you friend. Thank you, Debbie. And if I may, I would say one more thing. When people disappoint you 
or don't give you what you need, love them anyway. They are, they are, you may need 10 cups of sugar, but they've, they've only got one cup of sugar and they're giving you that whole cup. It's all that they can give you, but they're giving you all they've got. So don't slip into bitterness and, you know, slide, you know, step, step up into empathy and love them anyway, even when you just want to smack someone sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we get in trouble with our expectations, don't we? I wanted 10 cups of sugar. (laughs) Yep. Get the, get the other nine from somewhere else. You know, I have this uh, quote here from T.D. Jakes. And since you mentioned bitterness, I I think I'll read this quote. If you already understand your purpose, are you prepared to change your plans to match God's will? If you aren't, you can easily become bitter because things that used to work for you may no longer work. Be willing to transition at every stage of your life. If your heart is open and you have an open mind, the blessings will flow. That's so good. I love T.D. Jakes. I do too. Thank you, Debbie. It was such a pleasure to be here with you during this. this Well, yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I know um, you've helped so many people. And again, I want to encourage everyone who's listening to please share this episode with your friends, because the reason I do this podcast is to encourage and to inspire um, people who just need need to know, need to be Um, helped in any area of life. So I want to thank you all for coming today where we as a village come together to embrace, grow, and be transformed by the purpose and power of our transitions. Thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to DebbieRonka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A.com.